Well, it's great to be here with you today. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Joey for inviting me. Thank you for your hospitality. Every time we come here, uh, this congregation is so warm and welcoming and hospitable. Uh, my family loves the opportunity to be here worshiping with you. Um, and, and talking with Pastor Joey this week, man, I just want to tell you, I think I say it every time, but I love your pastor. And uh, it, is, it is so clear and so evident in the way that he speaks about you that he loves you deeply. He cares for you greatly. And so I'm honored that he would entrust this pulpit to me today. And uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our main text this morning is going to be 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. So we see in the opening of this letter that the Apostle Peter, he's writing to elect exiles in the dispersion. So he's writing to Christians that have been scattered abroad. He's writing to Christians that are experiencing intense persecution from those around them. And very soon they will experience intense persecution from their own government under Emperor Nero. And it's under this persecution that Peter himself will be martyred in just a few short years after penning this letter. And so uh, Peter's goal in writing this letter is to remind these persecuted Christians that they have been chosen by God, that they have hope in God. He writes to offer them hope and to give them instruction for, for Christian living, for holy living, despite the trials that they're facing. And so this morning, it's the same hope that the Apostle Peter writes about that I hope to remind you of today. I want to talk to you about the necessity of hope. As human beings, oftentimes tragedy uh, or trials, they can cause us to think that Everything in this life is futile or meaningless, but I think uh, human beings instinctively, whether they're believers or unbelievers, instinctively we know that this life has an ultimate purpose, don't we? And we know uh, that's, that's why we see people clinging to dear life for hope, something to keep them sustained, something to keep them moving forward, even when uh, things seem totally bleak. And so everybody uh, has some kind of hope in one thing or another. Maybe you've known someone that, that felt hopeless. Maybe you yourself have, have felt hopeless. And I think hopelessness is one of the greatest tragedies in our world. Think about that for a second. No hope for tomorrow. No hope for better things to come. No reason to go on. It's totally tragic. And people, people put their hope in all sorts of things. They put their hope in, in money and power and social status. They put their, their hope in fame or maybe relationships. Or they put their, their hope in science or medical technology or, or even governments, God help them. But these things, to hope in these things is, is to be hopeless. Because one day all these things will pass away. All these things will fade away. They will all come to an end. And so to hope in these things is nothing more than a dead and lifeless hope. And in our text today, Peter is reminding us about our living hope as Christians. This is a hope that will never end. This is a hope that will never fade away. It will never die. And it's this living hope that will sustain us until we receive the fullness of our salvation. Let's go to our text today. 1 Peter 1, 3-9 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this morning I want to highlight for you, as we walk back through this text, uh, four things that Peter tells us about our living hope. First, the cause of our living hope. The second is the substance of our living hope. Third is the assurance of our living hope. And fourth is the joy of our living hope. I'm going to repeat that for you note takers. The cause of living hope, the substance of living hope, the assurance of living hope, and the joy of living hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I think this is one of the most encouraging texts in all of scripture. And God, my goal today, and I believe your goal today, is to encourage your church, encourage your church to walk in and live in a living hope. So I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would guide us in the truth this morning. You would guard us from error. Lord, help us to become more like Christ. Help us to glorify you as we, uh, as we learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 3 is the cause of living hope. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we are born again into this living hope. God has caused us to be born again according to his great mercy and through the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now, in John chapter 3, there was this man named Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus at night. He started to gain an understanding of who this Jesus was, and so he came to him. And what Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, is, is fascinating. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus asks him, well, how is this possible? And he starts to ask strange questions about uh, can a man go into his mother to be born again? And, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 Nicodemus, you've, you've missed the point. And in verse 8, he says this. He said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or for where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this is kind of a play on words here, because in, in the original language, the word for spirit and the word for wind are the same word. And so, what Jesus is saying here is that the work of God's Holy Spirit in regenerating people to be born again is as mysterious as the wind. Just as the wind blows where it wishes, the Spirit of God is free to work in whomever and wherever He wishes. And just as we can't control the wind, we cannot control the Spirit of God. Amen? We see the effects of His Spirit, but we cannot control Him any more than we can control the wind. It is God alone that has caused us to be born again. The Apostle Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And Ephesians 2 tells us that this is not of our own doing. Our own doing. It is a gift of God. Hebrews 12 tells us Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He has began the work in us and he will finish the work in us. Amen? Now, I don't feel a, a huge burden this morning to belabor this point because I know who your pastor is. I know you hear this all the time. I know this church proclaims the sovereignty of God. I know this church... Uh, loves and and is comforted in the sovereignty of God and salvation. And and that warms my heart this morning. So recognizing that God is the cause of our being born again to a living hope should cause us to do what? Should cause us to worship. Notice how Peter starts this section of the letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, It's as if he can't contain himself. As he begins to ponder this great and glorious salvation to which you and I have been given by our God, he's bursting with praise. He's bursting with worship. And this should be our response. Jesus said in Luke 7, 47, he who is forgiven little loves little. I would venture to say there's not a single person in this room who could say they've been forgiven little. We've been forgiven so much. And when we understand the weight in the reality of what we've been forgiven, how could we do anything but praise? How could we do anything but worship? How could we do anything but overflow with gratitude towards our God? Second thing we see in verse 4 is the substance of our living hope. It says, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So just as our Savior Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and is now alive, the hope that we have in Him is alive. Amen? Death itself could not hold our Savior. Acts 2.24 tells us God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Death could not hold our Savior and death could not hold the hope that our Savior brings. Amen? Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. And as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, we ourselves will share in that same resurrection that Jesus Christ has purchased on our behalf when he returns. We share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter is telling us today that this inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So though everything in this world will perish and fade away, our, our houses, our cars, even these own bodies that we have, they will perish, they will fade away. We look forward to an inheritance that will never perish. It will never fade away. It is eternal. Doesn't matter what happens in this life or this world. Doesn't matter what happens in the economy or the geopolitical landscape. 
Nothing can touch your inheritance, church. Nothing can touch the inheritance that we have obtained through the new birth. Not even taxes. Maybe that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, thieves can't break in and steal. Sorry, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. So when you're tempted to get caught up in the cares and the worries of this life, remember, you have an eternal inheritance. Remember that the substance of your living hope is your eternal inheritance in Christ that will be revealed to us in the new heavens and the new earth. Peter says it's kept in heaven for us. God himself has reserved this inheritance for us, and he keeps it, and he protects it for us, which brings us to the assurance of our living hope. Verse 5, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We are being guarded by God's power. God not only guards our inheritance for us, he guards us for our inheritance. Isn't that cool? He's guarding us for the inheritance that he has prepared for us. It's God who perseveres us. If salvation was up to us to keep, we would surely lose it. I know I would. But God is the one who perseveres us. God is the one who sustains us. And we can have an assurance because it is God's power that guards us. He guards the inheritance that he has prepared for us and he guards us for the inheritance that he's prepared. And he guards us by his power and through our faith. Reread verse 5. He says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that, that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except those who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We overcome the world through our faith which is born of God and is used by God to guard us. We see this example in the life of Peter, don't we? The author of this letter. When we read through the Gospels, He's kind of a knucklehead, isn't he? And, and we see one minute he's, he's walking on water. The next minute he's sinking because he's doubting. One minute uh, he's making a profession of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The next minute he's rebuking Jesus and Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. And then we see at the Last Supper he's saying, Lord, I'll die before I deny you. And then what does he do before the night's over? He denies him three times. So Peter is a case study in the ups and downs of the life of faith. But what did Jesus say to Peter? Right when he predicted Peter's denial, what did he say to him? In Luke 22, verses 31, he said, Simon, Simon, that's another name for Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter fell, but he did not fall finally. And why is that? Because Jesus prayed for him. Jesus interceded on his behalf. And this is why Peter's faith did not ultimately fail. And this is the same reason that the faith of all who are born again to this living hope will not fail. Because your Savior prays for you. Your Savior intercedes on your behalf. He guards you. He guards your faith. The Puritan author Thomas Watson said this, There is nothing that more troubles a child of God than that he fear he shall never hold out. 
These weak legs of mine, he says, will never carry me to heaven. But he is kept by the power of God. Once in Christ, forever in Christ. A believer may fall from some degrees of grace, but not from a state of grace. So we are being guarded for salvation, Peter says, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now what's the last time? This is describing the aspects of our salvation that are future tense. These are the aspects of our salvation that will occur at Christ's return, for which we eagerly wait, we eagerly hope for. Christ will come to judge the world. He will separate the wheat from the tares. He will separate the sheep from the goats. He will reward and He will punish. And in the last time, in that final judgment, and in that reward for the righteous, our salvation will finally be revealed in the last time. Amen? So don't feel as though you are on your own trying to earn salvation. Don't feel as though you have to do it on your own, but rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in the ongoing work of Christ to guard you. Amen? You will be vindicated in the last times. And this is what brings us to the joy of living hope. In verse 6 he says, In this you rejoice. So when he says in this, he's referring back to everything he's just said. So because God is the cause of our living hope, because our inheritance is the, uh, the substance of our living hope, and because we have an assurance of our living hope, we rejoice. The word used here for rejoice literally means to jump up and down with joy. So this isn't just a, f- a fleeting temporal happiness. This is a deep, abiding, and emphatic joy. Christian, Christian joy is synonymous with Christian hope, right? Our, our hope is the source of our joy. Our hope is the reason that we rejoice. If we rightly understand the living hope that we have in Christ, how could we help but do anything but rejoice? And this rejoicing isn't merely internal, but it manifests itself in praise and gratitude toward God. My mind goes back to Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they uh, deliver a a girl who's demon-possessed. And so this girl was basically telling fortunes and making people lots of money. And so they deliver the demon from her, and now she can no longer make money. So they're angry about it. And so they have them thrown in prison. They're beaten and thrown in prison. And what do they do? They're in prison. They're chained. They're in the stocks. They're singing hymns and praising God. Isn't that incredible? And what happens? An earthquake comes, shakes all the prison doors open, all the the, uh, chains fall off. And when the Philippian jailer comes and sees all the doors open, he thinks everybody's left. He draws his sword to kill himself. Because there's much worse fate awaiting him for losing all the prisoners. But the Apostle Paul says to him, no, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And then in Acts 16, 30 through 34 says, he brought them outside and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house. He set food before them and he rejoiced. Same word we see 
in our text today. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So this man was mere moments away from killing himself. And later that night, he's now rejoicing that he has been granted the ability to believe in God. Do you remember what it's like, that joy? Some of you that maybe came to Christ later in life, do you remember what that joy felt like? Do you still walk in that joy? Those of you that have been in church and and known Christ your whole life, you you may not remember that moment, but you have a, a, the gift of being in that joy your entire life. We need to be careful not to lose that sense of joy. If, you're, if your life is not marked by rejoicing, you need to question whether or not you fully understood the living hope that is yours in Christ. Or it could be you need to question whether or not you've been born again to a living hope at all. So you may be thinking this morning, well, if you only knew what I'm going through, you know why I don't feel like rejoicing. Well, Peter's got something to say about that in verse 6. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, though now for a little while. What's a little while? Is he saying you're going to have some trials and then everything's going to be great after that? I think what Peter's saying here is that this life we live is so brief. It's so short in comparison to eternity. Even if you struggle in trials your entire life, it's just a short while compared to eternity. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He said, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Notice in our text today, Peter says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We should be extremely comforted by those words, if necessary. And here's why. Our grief and our trials, they're not random. They're not meaningless. They are necessary. Not one trial, not one moment of suffering, not one tear that you have shed has been for nothing. It has a purpose. It has meaning. God's doing something through it. He's doing something. He's working something within you. And it wouldn't be happening if it weren't necessary. We should take great comfort in that, church. Necessary for what, you might ask? Well, verse 7 tells us, it says, So the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter compares these the testing of trials to the refining of gold. So gold is kind of a universal standard of value throughout human history, right? Even little kids understand that gold is valuable. And gold is refined by burning away impurities. And it's, our faith is 
purified in much the same way. When we go through the fire, God is with us in the fire. He is purifying us through the fire. And even the purest gold will perish, but oh, how much more precious and how much more valuable is the faith that will never perish to our God. Amen? So it's hope that enables us to persevere despite adversity. I read a really interesting study. Um, It's kind of controversial. It was back in the 1950s. uh, There was an experiment by a Johns Hopkins University scientist. I'll go ahead and say this was a very cruel experiment. I don't condone the cruelty, but the results were fascinating. Um, So he he took some rats, and what he did was he put these rats in water, and he timed how long they attempted to survive. And the first group of rats, after about 15 minutes, gave up and they drowned. So then he got another group of rats, and he put them in the water. And he waited till they were giving up and they were starting to drown. And he took them out of the water. He dried them off. He let them rest. And then he put them back in the water. Do you know how long they swam the second time? Not 15 minutes, not 15 hours, over 60 hours. They fought and they struggled to survive. Why? What was the difference? They had a hope of being rescued. They had a hope of being rescued. Now, you can only take that illustration so far. I don't know how how much cognitive ability rats actually have. But here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that without the hope of the resurrection, we are to be most pitied of all. If we don't have this living hope, we are no better off than drowning rats. That's the reality of this situation. John Bunyan wrote this, Hope has a thick skin and will endure many a blow. It will put on Patience as a vestment, it will wade through a sea of blood. It will endure all things if it be the right kind for the joy that is set before it. Hence, patience is called patience of hope because it is hope that makes the soul exercise patience and long-suffering under the cross until the time comes to enjoy the crown. Many of you, no doubt, have been through many trials. Many of you may be going through unthinkable trials even right now. And this morning, my my encouragement to you is remember your living hope. When I reflect on some of the the trials and and the losses that my wife and I have walked through, the only thing that got us through was our living hope. As 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Amen? So I want to remind you this morning that your trials and your grief, they are producing within you a genuine and pure faith. I have seen the Lord work out such a pure and genuine faith in my life through every trial, through every loss. I've seen the Lord do a great work. And I'm confident this morning that when you trust in the Lord, when you trust in the Lord despite Whatever you're going through, he will work faith within you. He will purify you. He will bring you to a genuine faith. And verse 7 tells us that it's our genuine faith that results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose praise, glory, and honor is he talking about here? Believe it or not, he's talking about ours. When Jesus Christ comes... To judge the world, those who have a pure and genuine faith will enter into and will share in the praise and the glory and the honor 
of Christ Jesus. This is our living hope. This is why as Christians, we can experience true joy in the midst of all sorts of trials and suffering because we have a living hope for the future. As Romans 8.18 tells us, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So we're going to close with this. In verse 8 he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter's writing to, to people who did not see the risen Lord. They did not see him with their own eyes, and yet, though they have not seen him, they loved him and they believed in him. Now, Peter surely would have remembered the exchange between Thomas and Jesus in John chapter 20 when the disciple Thomas, he said, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And after he'd seen and believed Jesus, Jesus said to him in verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And church, this describes us this morning. We are those who have not seen and yet we have believed. Peter says in verse 8, we not only believe in him, but we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And in so doing, we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That word obtaining there, it's in the present tense. We are obtaining it here and now. We are obtaining the salvation of our souls here and now, which will be fully consummated in the end when Christ returns. And this is our living hope, and this is why we can uh, rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So as we leave here today, I want you to remember these things and live in light of the reality of these things, that God alone has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And our response to that should be worship. Humble gratitude towards the God who's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Remember that your eternal inheritance is the substance of your living hope. And it's because of this that we can live this life with an eternal perspective. Remember that you have an assurance of living hope because God in Christ is guarding your soul. As you leave here today, rest in Christ. Rest in the finished work of Christ and the ongoing work of Christ to guard your soul. And remember that you have the joy of living hope no matter what trials you face because God is using them to purify your faith that you may obtain the salvation of your soul. Choose joy. Choose joy. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sorrowful. But in a strange way, in the life of a Christian, these two things don't cancel each other out. You can have unimaginable grief and yet have unexplainable joy. And people will look at your life and say, how on earth, how on earth are you able to rejoice in these circumstances, and it's because you do not grieve as one who has no hope, but you have a living hope in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of this living hope that we can persevere in holiness and obedience to the commands of Christ. 
If you're here this morning and you don't have this living hope, if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, please come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders here at Deer Park. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be born again to a living hope. Let's pray. Father, we are humble this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you that you've caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an eternal inheritance. God, we thank you that we have assurance of this hope because you are the one who guards us and sustains us. You are the one who protects us. And God, I pray that we would all be filled with your joy. We would be filled with rejoicing as we consider these things today. God, and that our lives would be marked by the joy that comes from the hope that you give us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.